0: This is Sound & Vision from KEXP. I'm Emily Fox. Laura Marling has been releasing albums since she was 18. Now at the age of 30, she has released her seventh studio album. It's called Song for Our Daughter. Lately I've been thinking about our daughter growing old All of the that she might be told Laura Marling joins me now to talk about this record. Hello. Hello. So now you don't actually have a daughter. Can you tell me more about just this title track and the story you're telling within this song?
1: You know, the title song for Our Daughter was just, you know, clearly a figurative consideration about what, what it would be like to raise a daughter, given the experience of being a woman that I've had and what sort of culture is going through at the moment, this kind of profound shift in sort of empathetic relationship to what, what the experience of being a woman is. So that's just like, that's just a product of me being a woman, I think, you know, and having lived that experience and trying, you know, as I get older, also really correlating that experiences with the the experiences of my friends and people that I know. So that was it, really.
0: Yeah. I understand there's this historical or literary reference um, in the line in the song, there's blood on the floor in this song. And I read a little bit about it. Can you talk about the story that inspired that line, there's blood on the floor?
2: blood on the floor Maybe now
1: you believe her for sure Oh, yes. Um, there's a story from... I'm not a classicist, but there's a story from um, sort of Roman antiquity about the daughter of a nobleman, and I think her name was Lucretia, and I think the story is called The Rape of Lucretia. And... Um, She was raped before her marriage. And in those days, they believed well, in the story, they believed that if you um, had been anyway sullied in that kind of way, that your blood would turn black as a result. And anyway, so no one believed her. And um, she couldn't bear the idea of getting married under God or whatever, having had this experience. And so she marched into court one morning and stabbed herself in the chest. To prove that her blood was black, and of course she died, and of course her blood was black, um and I, I, I sort of come, I come across those kind of things, those stories, and and I quite often, you know, I, I write, I rewrite them down so I remember them, and and they get stuck in my brain, and obviously that's such a relevant sort of analogy. Or metaphor today, still this idea of you know that you would take you would go to the extreme of stabbing yourself in the heart if only you could prove what your experience, what the what the sort of tremendous effect of your experience has been. Um, anyway, so it got regurgitated into <laughs> into a song as it often does, and it's quite a, it's quite a story. Lately, I've been thinking
2: about our daughter growing old. All of the That she might be told There's blood on the floor
0: Song, song, um, Song for Our Daughter. You know, I think trauma is part of this song a little bit. And I know that you're working on your master's in psychoanalysis, which is super exciting. And I'm just curious what you've been learning about trauma in your studies recently.
1: Well, I, I mean, I must stress that I am no expert and I'm as yet undertrained um, as it stands. But uh, lots of interesting things about tra- trauma and particularly the language used around trauma is like, Something that is so indigestible that it's it can't be assimilated into the kind of into the system. Um, lots of people don't like it when people talk about the sort of the human psyche as a system. But and there's also in other fields, not not to do with psychoanalysis, like the the Basil van der Kock book, "The Body Holds the Score," talks about this relationship to memory consolidation, post-traumatic stress, and and um, rapid eye movement in sleep, and basically. Post-traumatic stress affects your ability to um, reach that stage of sleep in which memories are consolidated in a way that they can be filed away and not relived, and and trauma interrupts that, and um and so that connection is really interesting to me about how how you can assimilate experiences and memories so that they can stop troubling you, so that you can get on with the good work of kind of recovering from that experience. So it's all, it is, it's a fascinating area. That book is amazing. Um, the Body Holds the Score.
0: Wow, that is fascinating. And so for this mm. degree in, in psychoanalysis, is this, you know, like, a you know, exciting for you? You're able to study it? something that you do on the side? Or do you plan on pivoting careers?
1: Um, well, I think what's been made quite clear to me very quickly, I've never been involved in sort of academic World before, and um, there's like you know, it's you can really see the people very quickly who are deeply, deeply gifted <laughs> at um, sort of, I don't know, processing the language and understanding things very quickly. And uh, and it's uh, so no, I'm not in any, I can safely say that I'm not in any danger of switching careers anytime soon because I have to work quite hard to understand the things that are being said. <laughs> um, yeah. So <laughs> that's been nice.
0: So you've always kind of gravitated towards women's stories. And that was a big focus of your last album, Semper Femina. And you've also hosted a podcast called Reversal of the Muse, where you interview women in the music industry about creativity. And that was inspired by the fact that during your decades in music, you only came across like two female audio engineers. So, you know, for your podcast, Reversal of the Muse, what did you learn from the, win- the women that you interviewed as part of the podcast, either revelations about the music industry or what it means to navigate music as a woman
1: yeah it was very very interesting i think the over the overarching theme of all the people that i spoke to and i spoke to i spoke to artists like haim and dolly parton and uh who didn't give me anything actually (laughs) it was very nice to speak to her and i spoke to producers and engineers and people on all kind of sides and um I just think the conclusion was that there is a very different approach. Maybe it's a cultural, you know, an ingested cultural style of how women approach things, or maybe it's truly a sort of a fundamental difference. But I think there's a couple of reasons why women, you know, though the door is not closed to them necessarily, why it's more difficult for them to access the information and that it, that, that would lead you to have a kind of open and free relationship to the creative industries, and I think that's partly that there is a kind of um, a difference in the way that, say, men share information or men share interests. And if, it's, if you're working in an industry dominated by that sort of masculine style of, of information sharing, it becomes inadvertently exclusive, exclusory. Exclusory? That's the word. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to roll with it. <laughs> um, <laughs> and also women's own uh, sense of self-deprecation Uh, I think very often that transcends gender, but I think quite often they prefer to learn and make mistakes without being observed. And um, that can be a hard space to find sometimes.
0: Yeah. This song on your album, Strange Girl, stuck out to me, specifically the first two um, verses. You know, the first one you're talking about, you know, getting your records out and and throw them away, you know, no one left to listen to. And then the second one seems to be about, you know, politics. Can you talk about just these first two verses in your song Strange Girl and, and what inspired them? Well, there's sort of, I mean,
1: there's sort of a sort of silly correlation of um, the, the ridiculous things that you do in your 20s that your friends can all see that you're doing. And, um, <laughs> and no one can tell you how annoying it is that you keep doing them and obviously that's slightly self-reflective and slightly um outwardly uh looking i guess the 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 work i'm in a country refuse to hold your hand i mean that's partly my a few of my friends have done time in the states and and whatever and it is quite a shock to the british uh to the british uh, sort of maternal psyche. We have this strange kind of maternal relationship to the NHS and the Queen. I'm, I'm, no, I'm no royalist by any means, but um, you do. You just have this sense of being kind of maternally looked looked over, you know, it, as a country. And then when you go to America, there's this incredible sense of not being looked <laughs> looked after. And um, you know, you are in a huge country all of a sudden. So I think that. You know that was that that can have a, a quite a shock to the ego of a, of a, of someone from the, my humble little isle.
2: I love you.
0: So this album was supposed to be released later this summer, but you moved that release date up to April. And I'm just curious, how much, you know, did this pandemic, the coronavirus impact that decision to move the album forward?
1: It was totally related to the to the pandemic. I mean, obviously, we had no idea how long it would go on for. But the general feeling was that it would just kept being pushed back and pushed back. And, and for what, really? I mean, um, seven albums in, I'm not you know I'm in no danger of becoming wildly popular overnight so there's nothing you know there's nothing really to to um there's no magic to work towards and I have that I think I also am in slightly the privileged position of having put out previous albums so people kind of know what to expect um and it was it's I think it was on instinct it seemed like it was going to be a good time to listen to music which it absolutely has I mean I've listened to the Fiona Apple album (laughs) two times a day Uh, every day for the last week so and I haven't listened to albums start to finish in that in that way for for years maybe
0: yeah. we actually talked about that album on the show and gosh, that one was such a powerful thing to be released at this, <laughs> at this time. Oh my God. It's perfect. Yeah. So, you know, during social isolation, you are also giving guitar tutorials of your songs on Instagram live. So why was it important to you to teach rather than just perform? Cause we're seeing so many people just, you know, perform, um, during social isolation, but why did you want to focus on teaching?
1: I think um I like the kind of the the boundary of teaching. You know, I don't there's something uncomfortable to me about like let me entertain you. I it's just never I've never been an you know, I've never been a very good entertainer. And that's not really really what I'm in it for. And I, I don't feel like I'm entertaining you if I just sit here and play you songs. Um so teaching the guitar seemed like a kind of practical, you know, participatory you're involved as much as I'm involved um nice exchange and um yeah and now I'm slightly running out of repertoire because I can only really teach my song so I've had to cut it down to once a week instead of two Um, yeah yeah
0: well it's a lovely album I've been speaking with Laura Marling her latest album song for our daughter is out now you can check her out on Sundays on Instagram live um giving tutorials guitar tutorials of her songs Laura Marling thank you so much for chatting today Thank you so much.
2: What became of Alexander? Did she make it through? What can kind a of woman get to love you? Rhodes out.
0: This is Sound and Vision. Well, coronavirus has gotten musicians to think of new ways to connect with fans, like Laura Marling teaching guitar lessons on Instagram. But how have you connected with music during the coronavirus? This week, we asked listeners what was a song that got them through a moment during social isolation? A song that made you smile, remind you of someone, help you reflect on what's happening, or a song that made you cry during this pandemic? Here were some of your answers. This is Caitlin Nowinski from Seattle. This pandemic and subsequent quarantine has been a really strange experience. My father who lives in New York City went missing and we found out weeks later after conducting our own investigation from Seattle that he had passed away. It has been particularly tough because I have not been able to be with my family through all of this, as we are adhering to the shelter in place. A song that has really helped me through all of this is Saltwater by Geowulf. As a young child, I lived in Richmond Beach with my father and have always
3: been drawn to the ocean for healing.
0: I'm Beth Baker.
1: The song that connected me in a moment during the coronavirus pandemic was These Days by Nico. Just as things were getting more and more closed down, but before the quarantine, this song came on and I was just finishing up my run in West Seattle in Lincoln Park. There were people still out. It was sunny. Their ferry was just coming in the terminal. It was such a slow motion moment. You know, like when you get bad news and everything just stays still. The words of the song seem so relevant, like it was written yesterday and it was so soothing. The idea that these are the days that everything just slows down. I don't do too much scheming these days. It popped in my head that
0: things may never go back to the way they are again for a very long time.
1: I've been
2: out walking. I don't do too much talking these days.
1: I seem to think a lot about the things that I forgot to do.
3: This is Angelo Caputa, and I am a special projects coordinator for the Transport Workers Union of America. We represent workers all across the United States who are in the transportation industry. I live in Brooklyn, New York, sort of the epicenter for all the negative things that you're hearing about what's going on uh, with regards to transportation and transit workers in particular. We've seen uh, upwards of 75 of our members lost as a result of this uh, pandemic. And over the last few weeks, I've been driving around trying to distribute as much uh, PPE that we can get our hands on directly to our members and the leaders of the, of the various locals where we represent folks. It, it's really difficult. It's been quite a few uh, tumultuous weeks here. I was thinking about a song that made made sense for me. It was definitely "The Other Side" by the group Public Service Broadcasting. It goes into detail about the Apollo Eight uh, lunar mission. And uh, when you listen to the piece, you know the, it starts off where there's just so much anxiety and angst. And there's um, so there's a part towards the middle where uh, the Houston control is about to let these let these astronauts go behind the dark side of the moon and you would you know you go through this period of complete radio silence and there's just so much tension and that's sort of like where we are now here in New York with this with pandemic but we, we know at some point we're going to come out of this hopefully we come out as just better human beings and better a better society. Apollo 8, Apollo 8, this is Houston, Houston, over. Roger, Houston, we you a lot. How do you read us? We've got it, uh, we've got it. Apollo uh, 8 now in, in lunar orbit. Uh, there's a cheer in the, this room. Uh, this is Apollo Control. Houston uh, switching now to the voice of Jim Lovell.
0: Thank you to Caitlin, Beth, and Angelo for sharing your stories. I hope you all are staying healthy out there. And thanks to you for listening. Before we go, please take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. And if you have the means, please consider giving a one-time $20 donation to this podcast at org slash sound. And stay tuned for Thursday's Sound and Vision podcast. We'll hear from Ben Gibbard of Death Cab for Cutie about his live from home online shows he's been doing since social isolation started. The proceeds of those performances are going towards Seattle area organizations, including arts organizations, healthcare workers and organizations that help the homeless.
3: I felt that I had a moral obligation and I think anybody in my situation would have one in this unprecedented time to do whatever was in their power to help people who were on the front lines of this, who are the most vulnerable in the wake of uh, this virus shutting the city down.
0: That's next time on Sound & Vision.